All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 28. We're going to finish up, finally finish up our study through the book of Acts. What happened after Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven? The book of Acts tells us. He gave final instructions to his disciples. He ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit, and they began to proclaim Jesus Christ and salvation in his name in Jerusalem and on into Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. That has been really the story of the book of Acts, the proclamation of salvation in Jesus' name to the ends of the earth. And we have seen the gospel get birthed there in Jerusalem as Jesus ascended and sent his spirit and Peter preached and 3,000 believed. And we saw it expand within Jerusalem as more and more people came to faith in Jesus Christ, so much so Luke tells us that even some of the priests believed. We saw it then extend outside of Jerusalem and go into Judea and even into Samaria to the hated Samaritans as Philip took the gospel, preached Christ, and those Samaritans came to faith in Jesus. We saw it go even further north into Antioch as full-blooded Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was such a deal that the leadership in Jerusalem brought Peter in and said, what are you doing preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? And he said, let me tell you the story. And in chapter 11, they rejoiced that God was granting the repentance which leads to life to the Gentiles also. So this gospel is not just for Jews. It's not just for half-Jewish Samaritans. It is for the Gentiles, for all the peoples of the world. And so we then saw it begin to extend into Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. As Paul went on his first missionary journey and took it to Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. On the second missionary journey, he took it even further around the Aegean Sea to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. And then on his third missionary journey to Ephesus with a view towards taking it all the way to Rome because he wanted to go even further with it to Spain. And we saw God providentially bring these things about, not exactly as Paul planned them, but bring them about so that when we get to chapter 28, Paul finds himself in Rome, just like Jesus promised he would. And so in in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, we read, when he entered Rome. So this is the last part of the book the gospel, all the way to Rome. We're going to see a couple of old themes here that we've seen throughout the book, and I think one last encouraging word as we, if you will, leave the book of Acts behind. Let's read it, and then I'll try to make my points fairly quickly. When he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Not exactly sure on the details of this Roman imprisonment, but it appears that he was not in a prison cell, if you will, but had some measure of freedom in this sense. He was allowed to stay in in a nicer place, his own rented quarters. But the fact is that there was a Roman soldier with him 
at all times. And so it's not like he could move about around the city. He was in a a single place, but it seemed to be his own rented quarters with Roman guard or guards with him. After three days, Paul called together those who were leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us all that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and And with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen, or maybe better, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen to what I say. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So a couple of similar themes we've seen throughout the book. First one is this, that God's gospel progresses through the persistent evangelism of his people. And of course we know this, this is how the book began. Jesus alive from the dead, spending some final days with his disciples before he then ascended into heaven. And while with them, he was teaching them concerning the kingdom of God, and they were saying to him, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know, but here's what I want you to know. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And then he ascended into heaven. They went to Jerusalem and waited for the promise. The Holy Spirit came, and they began to proclaim Christ. Witness to the world that Jesus Christ was sent by God to be the Savior 
of the world. That's the way this gospel message progresses. Is God's people, empowered by his spirit, taking it to the men, women, and children in their lives. Paul had written to the Romans not terribly long before this, and he had said, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul says, I've been in Pisidia, Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and Philippi, and Thessalonica, and Berea, and Athens, and Corinth, and Ephesus. And among the Gentiles, I have preached this gospel, and many have come to believe. And I want to come to you as well in in Rome, so that I may obtain some fruit there as well. And he goes on, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's conviction was that everyone needs this gospel. Not only those in Jerusalem, not only those in Ephesus, not even only those in Rome, because he wanted to go to Rome so that he could go further to Spain. This is the way the gospel progresses, is his people taking it further. A couple things to note about it. Number one, it takes initiative. That little phrase there in verse 17, it's haunted me a little bit this week. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. He called them together. He's a prisoner in Rome. He's in his own rented quarters, but he's chained to a soldier. And yet he's taking the initiative to call together unbelievers so that he might tell them about Jesus. He didn't sit idly by. He wasn't waiting for opportunities to come his way. He took the initiative that he could. And it's amazing. He would, sometime after this, write the book of Philippians from this Roman imprisonment, and he would say, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances as a prisoner in Rome have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. Every guard they brought him, he shared the gospel with. And everybody that he could get to come to him, he shared the gospel with. So that's number one. It's a good reminder for all of us. What initiative are we taking for the progress of the gospel? Secondly, it takes godly living. And I see that simply from Paul again affirming that his life is above reproach. There in verse 17, brethren, 
though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. In verse 18, when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. Even down there in verse 21, these Jews said, hey, nothing's been reported or spoken, nobody's spoken anything bad about you. And it was those little phrases that just reminded me again of how important this is for the sake of God's people living on mission with Jesus. Jesus said that you and I are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. And in that context, he then says, therefore let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds, your love, your kindness, your patience, your joy, your mercy, a distinctive lifestyle. The Apostle Peter, picking up on Jesus' words, would say, keep your behavior excellent among the unbelieving world, so that in a thing in which they slander you as evildoers, you're a Christian, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some of the men and I are studying through Philippians on Friday mornings, and we just got to that passage on Friday where in the context of chapters 1 and 2, the progress of the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel, Paul said to them, do nothing, said to the church, as you and me, do nothing or um, with, do everything, do nothing with grumbling or disputing, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of truth. Paul said that he was blameless, that he was innocent, that he was above reproach, no accusation against him could stand. It reminds me, and I've shared it before, my old prophet, Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, says, you know, every once in a while I'm asked by a student, hey, prof, which should I be more concerned about in my evangelism, the life I live or the words I speak? And I simply ask them, well, which, plane, which wing of the plane do you prefer most, the left or the right. And then he would look at the class and he would say, friends, it is both our life and our lip. It is the life we live. Empowered by his spirit. Qualitatively distinct from the world. In our kindness, in our grace, in our love. Above reproach, not perfect, but above reproach, blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so it takes initiative, it takes godly living, it also takes not just living, but also speaking. Verse 23, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him in his lodging in large numbers 
And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them. And so again, it's both our life and our lip. It's both the right wing and the left. It's both the life we live and the words that we speak. Evangelism is not, oh, what's the deal? Um, I preach Christ all the time, and if necessary, use words. No. The gospel is a message. It's a message that has content, and it's a message that is to be proclaimed. And here, just broadly, it seems to me, the big story He says, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, and if you will, the Jesus story, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. These Jews were no doubt looking for the Messiah who was going to come and establish the kingdom. And it was the thing that had, one of the things that had gotten them so confused over Jesus from the very beginning. They were looking for the conquering king to defeat the Romans, assume the throne in Jerusalem, and rule over the entire world. And yet the Messiah came, a suffering servant, to give his life a ransom for his people, to die cursed upon the tree. In their place and for their sins, the iniquity of us all laid upon him. He came to bring in the kingdom, to inaugurate it, and one day to bring it in in its fullness, and it just went over their heads. They just couldn't go with it. And so Paul was explaining to them, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. He's the one that the, that the law of Moses and the prophets foretold. He came in fulfillment of all of those scriptures. And he lived and he died and he rose and he's exalted to God's right hand. And he reigns over his inaugurated kingdom now in the lives of his people. And one day he will come again to defeat his enemies and to vindicate his people and to establish the kingdom in all of its glory over all the earth. And so, yes, it is an above reproach life that you and I are meant to live in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever it is that God takes us. And by his grace, as we take initiative and share the gospel, we do the very best we can to take what we know and to tell them about Christ, who he is and what he's come to do and how he's changed our lives through the forgiveness of our sins and his life-changing power. And we call them to believe. But, here's our second theme that we've seen before. God's gospel meets with differing responses along the way. Verse 24 Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. 
We've seen this over and over and over and over again, haven't we? It was foretold that it would be this way. You'll remember that the book of Acts was written by Luke. And it's really Luke volume 2. The gospel of Luke was written to Theophilus. The book of Acts, written to Theophilus. And so these two books really form volume one and volume two. And this story started way back here in Luke chapters one and two with the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you'll remember that story, eight days after he was born, Joseph and Mary took him into the temple to to dedicate him to the Lord. And there was an old man there named Simeon who for a long time had been looking for the consolation of Israel. And when he saw the baby Jesus, he said, that's him. And he took that baby in his arms and Joseph and Mary have got to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? And here's what he said. Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many within Israel. This boy will be a fork in the road for people. And depending on what they do with him, they will either rise or they will fall. Even as we began the book of Acts, as Jesus ascended and sent his spirit in Acts chapter 2, and they began to miraculously speak in tongues and praise God, people from all over that Mediterranean world, praising God. And some were amazed by it and perplexed by it, and they asked a good question, what is this? But others mocked. And said they are full of sweet wine. They're drunk. And from that very beginning, right there, with the descent of the Spirit of God into the lives of his people, as they began to proclaim the magnificent things about God, some leaned in and said, what is this? And others said, they're just drunk. And throughout the entire book, as the gospel has gone here and there and here and there, There have been some who hear it, and it is a message, Paul would call it, of life to life. Others, a message of death to death. Throughout Acts, and the message of the New Testament is, That if by God's grace you will believe and trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you are adopted into the family of God. And his very Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to make you a new kind of person. And all of the promises of God are yours not because you're better than anybody else and not because you did anything, but because it was a precious truth to your ears that God has sent his son Jesus to save you.
If you will believe in him and trust in him, you will have life. But if you will refuse him, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to this people and say, you'll keep on hearing but will not understand. You'll keep on seeing but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear with their, and they have closed their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. The reality is that we all have a sickness called sin, and we need to be healed. And, and God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has provided healing for those who will hear and those who will see and those who will return, trust, and believe but to those whose eyes are blind, whose ears are deaf, whose heart is hard. You remain in that sickness. Early in the book, Peter and the apostles said, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Friends, if you've never taken hold of Jesus, cast your soul upon Jesus. May God give you the grace to do so right now. Not by raising your hand, not by coming forward, but right now, even in the quietness of your own soul. To put your faith, your trust, your hope in Christ. Well, finally, the gospel will prevail through thick and thin until the end. In verse 30 and 31, this is the final um, progress report in the book. And you don't need to look at these, but as the book progresses and as Luke takes us from one section of the book to the next, he gives us progress reports along the way. I'm, I'm just going to read them to you. Chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. In chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. In 1224, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. In 16.5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. In 19.20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And now finally, as the gospel has come all the way to Rome and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, 
was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. That's the last word in the book. Unhindered. And you know all along the way, the plots of evil men and the schemes of a busy devil have been doing all that they can to hinder God and the progress of his gospel to the ends of the earth. And too bad for them because no weapon fashioned against him will prosper. Our God cannot be stopped. One fellow put it like this. The book closes on a triumphant note. Victory of the word of God. Paul at Rome, the apex of the gospel, the end of Acts. It began at Jerusalem, it finishes at Rome. Here, O church, thou hast thy pattern. It is for thee to preserve it and to guard the deposit. Another Luke's description of Paul preaching with boldness and without hindrance symbolizes a wide open door through which we in our day have to pass. The acts of the apostles have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. I pondered that this morning. I thought of the old hymn. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Until that day comes when all of God's purposes are wrapped up, nothing will stand in his way. And so we go, hopefully, with great sense of conviction and passion and trust that our God is with us, just as he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Quickly in this book, I think we've seen bunches of things, but at least a few. What is our mandate between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, it is absolutely clear you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. We have seen the absolute necessity of prayer. That all along the way, God's people pray because they realize what God has called them to do, they cannot accomplish in and of their own strength. And so they gather and they pray and they ask God to give them boldness and to open doors. We have seen God's wonderful method. You. People. That God is going to accomplish his purposes between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ through his spirit-empowered people like you and me. Some of you may be on Twitter, and maybe you saw the 
It came out over the weekend. Homer Simpson. I, I never watched The Simpsons, but apparently there was a show in which he was sitting there reading the Bible to his kids. And he said, you know what? He said, everybody in this book is messed up except one. You and me are messed up. But in the, with the power of the Holy Spirit, he has called us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Messed up guys and messed up gals just like you and me. What Jim Elliott said, we are nobodies telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. God uses Peter and he uses Philip and he uses Stephen and he uses Paul and he uses all those unnamed men and women to whom the gospel came and they just went out and told their friends and family about Jesus. We have seen a dangerous menace called prejudice. That each time this gospel extended further, it came with a rub. You went where, Philip? To the Samaritans. Those ancient descendants of Jews and the hated Assyrians, you went to them? Yeah. Hey, Peter and John, why don't you, hey, go down there and see. Peter, you went to, you went where? To Cornelius' house? You went inside and ate with Gentiles? May it not be so of you and me. There is no room for prejudice in the heart of a child of God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. This gospel is for everybody, dogs like you and me. We saw the incredible message that we take to the world in Acts chapter 15. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message. Not law, not works, grace. With a big smile on our face. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We saw the sustaining metal, if you will, of God's people, their perseverance throughout. And then finally, the great providence of God, that he watches over his people every step of the way, providing for them, protecting them, sustaining them until his purposes are done, and then he takes us home. But he is with us. He is with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we not leave this book behind with a sense of, oh, that was good. May we ponder what your word calls us to as the people of God. Spirit-empowered mission. 
Oh God, maybe this summer, more than any summer before, we would have eyes to see like Jesus who looked upon the multitudes and felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Give us that kind of heart. Give us those kinds of eyes. And maybe this summer, Lord, we would pray more than ever before for people in our lives that are far from God. Maybe more than ever, we would initiate, we would invite for a meal. We would ask them questions. We would listen. We would love. We would serve. And maybe this summer, Lord, more than ever before, we would open our mouths full of the gracious message of the gospel of Jesus. And we pray that through our living and through our speaking, that you might do above and beyond what we would ever imagine. God, would you use us to draw people closer to Jesus in in putting their faith in him? The light of our lives, the glory of our gospel. And may sinners come to him. We are nobodies meant to tell everybody about somebody with the power to save anybody. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.